Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. I, I thank you, Rob. I appreciate that. I, I, I love this house. I do. I know many of you that are in here. I would also like to spend more time with Rob. He said that, so now I'm going to hold him to it. <laughs> Rob knows where the best restaurants are, him and Jason, by the way. If you need any advice, you ask those guys. They'll lead you the right way. Amen. Well, it's an honor to be here this morning. Um, I believe in a second witness. How many of you know that Matthew 18 talks about get a second and third witness? So there are ushers in here. Ushers, where are you at? Each one of you are going to get an amazing Love Dallas card. And if you flip it over, it's got that same QR code right there. So they're going to begin to hand those out all throughout the place right now. I want to encourage you, even while the message is going on today, go ahead and sign up right now. Every person in here can do part. Why do I say that? Because we need people to pray. How many of you believe in the power of prayer? We need people to worship. How many of you believe in worshiping? We need people to hit the streets. How many people believe in that? So it, it, it's a grassroots thing of adoration and proclamation. So there may be differences of opinion on doctrine on some things, but we can stand on the platform unified under Jesus is worthy of worship and Jesus is worthy of adoration, right? This is why we go to churches all over the place right now and we're telling them this. We don't care what it says on their business card or on their front door. If they believe that Jesus Christ is worthy of adoration and proclamation, let's do this thing. Let's get the gospel out there. Now, we have seven key areas that, we're, that we believe like the Lord is honed in on. One of them is, of course, Addison right here. One of them is Pleasant Grove. Any of you guys ever know where that, you know where that is? Hallelujah. One of them is Fair Park. Anybody know where that is? One of them is Oaklawn. Anybody know where that is? Hallelujah. Come on, guys. One of them is McKinney. Anybody know where McKinney is? So we, we, are, we believe that the Lord has highlighted specific areas, dear in love Dallas, that we're going to, let me set the stage for you. In heaven right now, what's going on? There's continuous worship. The understanding of Revelations 4 leads us into, into knowing that in the throne room right now, people or, or angels are crying holy and the 24 elders are bowing down and they're screaming worthy all at the same time. We complain of the, if we hear the same worship song over and over again, they say the word holy over and over and over. Revelations 5 talks about the prayer of the saints filling up the bowls. I believe in two weeks, we're going to see bowls tipping over into, over parts of Dallas all over the place that we are going to once again be known for a revival sending center rather than everybody just coming here to escape their other states. I'm saying it. We're going to be known as a place of revival that sends people right back where they came from. Now I say that with love. You get what I'm saying, right? Don't read into what I'm not saying. I, I think people can come and get lit ablaze and then go right back where they were and preach this gospel because all of a sudden they're not worried about the things they were coming from because they know we're walking in a Matthew 24, Luke 21 time and the end times are drawing near. I'm going to be the one to say it. I know this is a church that believes in that, that believes in eschatology, that believes that the growing pains are getting deeper and the labor's getting intensive but it's going to be the greatest time that the church has ever known. How many of you are with me on that? 
So I would encourage you to sign up today. Oh, I can't do anything but serve. Praise God. We need people to serve right here. Amen. We need, we need, we need people that will, that will walk around and serve in operations. People that will serve, that will serve at the front of house, greeting people. How many of you have got the gift of hospitality? If you do, raise your hand. You should, you should raise it up quickly because that's a wonderful gift. Okay, people, first impression, when they walk in the door, they make the judgment on the whole event within five seconds. If they're greeted with love, come on, somebody. If they're greeted with love, all of a sudden they're like, okay. I don't know if you know this, but back in 2016, we had a guy that walked in the front door. And he's standing there and he's just like mesmerized. He doesn't know what he's supposed to do. He's just, and one of the ladies looks over and says, sir, can I help you? And he goes, I don't know why I was just called to this building. And she said, that's interesting. What's going on with your left shoulder? And he looks at her and goes, I have pain in it. Why, why do you say that? Let me pray. Jesus name be healed. How's your shoulder? It's, it's better. Oh my goodness. It's healed. And then he just turns and says, I think I'm supposed to go in this room for a little while. Comes and sits for like two hours in the prayer room. He's the director of the Buddhist temple down the street. I got to go down there, invite him to lunch and have lunch with him. He heard the gospel. Sometimes just being there is a big deal. Opening yourself up. The three biggest things that Christians can do, of course, is be intimate with the Lord consecrate themselves unto the Lord and be available for the Lord. The availability portion is the one we're all still working on, right? I'm just going to be that guy that drops by to say it. Hallelujah. (laughs) I want to talk with you today. Before I do that, we have a video. Listen, on this video, we, we had almost decided not to have Love Dallas this year. We almost did, guys. Because of everything that's going on, we were like, I don't know, maybe this isn't the season. And, and all of a sudden, we, we felt like we heard from the Lord, how can you not have it? And we, we asked spiritual leaders that are in our life what they thought about it, and they said, no, we need to do it. So this promo video, many of you are going to see, when you look at the complex in the facility, this is in the old storehouse. This is, the, this is one of the older videos that we've kind of remade up, but tell me what you think about it. there's going to be a great move of the Spirit of God in this city, and, and it's an initiation that's going to be birthed here. I think what Love Dallas is bringing to Dallas and to the church in Dallas is it's giving the church an opportunity to get outside of the four walls, where it was never intended to be. We can literally talk all day about the things of Jesus, but there has to be a time we stop talking and start walking. I've seen demoniacs on the street completely set free at just a simple be free in Jesus' name. 
It was God. It was His heart. It was the Father pouring His heart into this woman's life. There's people that are only going to come to salvation if each one of you open your mouth to them. Beloved, even now, in the beginning recons for Love Dallas, people are getting saved, healed, delivered. Preach the gospel. Go preach the gospel to all the nations. Go and share the gospel with everything upon the face of the earth. Jesus didn't say, hey, if you're an evangelist, I want you to go do this. The evangelists are just the tip of the spear that show the rest of us how to do it. Your leaders and your pastor, they have that focus. They're generals that are literally being sent out into this area that have been put here by God himself. Have you heard when a general gives a charge, you're standing there fully armed, totally submitted to God, and we're giving him everything right at that moment. We've laid aside anything that hinders love. We set aside our own agenda like Christ did. Humble ourselves and get low. Let's see our city set ablaze with the gospel. Love is coming. I love it. I look at I look at some of the places. Some some of these churches have totally like redecorated their whole place now. You can tell it's been a few years since this was made. But praise God, it's happening again. The 29th through June the 5th, man. This is an all hands on deck challenge. It's a challenge. It's inviting all the. If you believe in Scripture, if you believe in walking out what the Bible says, I would encourage you to sign up for this event. Now, let me tell you real quickly why. Because I believe there's an urgency in the hour right now. People are, I mean, if anything, if anything, we have seen magnitudes of people that have went home to be with the maker in the last two years. And like I said, the last time I was here, I don't, I don't know what keeps you up at night, but what keeps me up at night What keeps me up at night isn't if you're having a joyful life. What keeps me up at night isn't if your checkbook is balanced. What keeps me up at night is knowing that there is a world out there that if they don't hear this good news, and I mean good news, if they don't hear it, they'll be eternally separated from God. And you can be a part if you're laboring in prayer. You can be a part if you're laboring in worship. We just want you to be a part. Amen. So I want to talk to you today about one of the things that I think will bring generations together. It was it was so funny. I was thinking about this on the way here and it was actually prophesied in that room that and and then and then and then my sister came up here earlier and began to pray that the Lord would begin to bring generations together. I went to I went to L.A. not long ago and I'm watching the time. There it is. I see it. It's a countdown. I went to LA not long ago, and it was the first time I ever went to this place called the Bonnie Bray House. Does anybody know what that is? So I went there. It was actually like the church, um, the home church of William Seymour. Anybody ever heard that name? Azusa Street Revival, right? So I get there, and it's me and my assistant. We go up to the gate, and as we get to the gate, they're closed. It's locked. I'm like, oh, man, I really wanted to see this place. We go to get in our car and all of a sudden this little lady starts screaming at us. Hey, 
hey. And I turn around and there's this little bitty lady. I mean, she's like 80 pounds soaking wet. I mean, little bitty lady. And she looks over and she goes, I've been waiting for you. Come in. What? So we, we, we walk inside the house. And when we do, we think we're fixing to get this super cool tour, right? So we're walking in. And all of a sudden, she turns around and begins to prophesy immediately over me and my, my assistant. And she prophesies Luke 4.18, that there's a movement of Luke 4.18 that's about to take off. And then she turns to me and she says, and you will disciple them. You will raise up the next Reinhard Bonnke, the next Catherine Coleman. I'm like, no pressure or anything. you know. <laughs> yeah. But she's prophesying this. And then I go into the other room, guys. And as I go into the other room, I'm not paying any attention to what I'm doing. I'm just praying and I lean, I lean kind of like this and I'm praying. And all of a sudden I begin to see a vision of different harvests that are coming in, piles of wheelchairs, piles of crutches, all of this stuff. And I heard the Lord say, I'm sending healing angels to accompany you in your ministry as you are, as you are sent out. And I am like, wow. And I look down and it's Catherine Coleman's pulpit that I have my hands on. And so we leave and we come back here. This is what's so wild about that. We leave and we come back here. The other night I was at Malaya House of Prayer. Any of you guys know where that is? Okay. And, and, and when I was there, the little lady that I met, her name is Sister Soul. And Sister Soul keeps telling me, there's this pastor that you need to meet. There's this pastor. I want you to meet him. I want you to meet him. The other night I'm there at Malaya and I preach. And it's so weird. We find out that the dates is actually when Chris Reed launched the, the, the vision that he had had and, and, that, and that IHOP had launched the, the 418 initiative, basically, and all of this and how it was lining up completely. And then I walk in and I meet this wonderful pastor and I'm turning around to leave and he goes, have you ever been to the Monty Bray house? And I said, yeah, man, I've been there. I've been there. And he starts talking and I realize he's the one she was talking about. And then he goes, as a matter of fact, and this is, I mean, this is totally free, guys. But then she pulls out, he pulls out this little thing of oil from the Bonnie Bray house. And he's like, I feel like you're supposed to be anointed with this. And all of this big swirl that's taking place. And I get back to it and I'm on my way home and I am just like, Lord Jesus, this is amazing. But I have no clue what it means. He says, everything will be revealed in time. You focus on the task at hand, which is 1 Corinthians 2, 2, four words. For I am determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So guess what I'm going to talk about today? Jesus Christ and him crucified. I think the thing that will bind generations together again, I, th I believe with all of my heart, the teaching that has been actually in many ways, it's been the church doesn't want to go into this a lot because we like pretty Jesus. That's right, I said it. We like the Jesus that has the halo and the Jesus that has the glow and we hang his pictures up in our house and everything else. But before there was a pretty Jesus, there was a pretty badly beaten Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. I had a worship leader not long ago. I may have shared this story the last time I was here, but he was up and he was singing those songs. Oh, the blood of Jesus. And he looked out and he said, do you know why I sing these songs? He said, because one day I asked an old evangelist who went out in the streets every day and he preached the gospel. He would say, I said, why do you do this? He goes, because I feel like, I feel like every time I go out there and these people get blood washed, some of that blood splashes back on me again. Did you hear what I said to you? 
the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. I believe that that why there's been such a great falling away and why we, why we see the progressive church leaving the roots of scripture is because of the lack of the preaching of the cross. The cross, the cross is, is, is the most horrific picture that we've ever seen, but it's the most beautiful. Oh, to gaze on the beauty of the cross, to gaze on the beauty of this savior, to gaze on the beauty of, I said it the last time I was here, we've never known love like this. I think the last message I preached here was on love. Well, the love in, in, in fulfillment was the cross. I know what you're thinking this morning. You're like, we know the cross. We're ready to move on. No, 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 no. If we ever get to the point where we want to move on from the cross, then beloved, we need to get back in our prayer closets once again. And we need to come to an understanding that it is the cross that has completed everything. It really is finished because of what Jesus did, because of the picture of the cross. Oh, the blood of Jesus. So I'm going to condense all this in 20 minutes. (laughs) Hallelujah. If you look at Matthew 26 and 27, or if you look at Mark 14, 15, or if you look at Luke 22 and 23, or if you look at John 18 and 19, we see in the four gospels, we see the cross and we see it from four different perspectives, four different individuals that are looking and they're noticing things and details that maybe some of the other ones did not, but they see it. But I want to, I want to talk to you today out of two. I want to talk to you today out of Matthew. And, and this may seem, this may seem, you may, you may be like, why in the world are we talking about this one portion? I'm glad you asked. It says in, 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 in chapter 27 of Matthew, verse 43, it says, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was a darkness over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard this, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, leave him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were open. And many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection. They went into the holy city and appeared to many. You know, there's. There's basically a teaching on the seven sheddings of blood that, that most theologians believe in. And, 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 and we're going to go through real quick all seven. But I want you to understand that it's believed that when he was in the garden, because we're going to be talking about the garden in just a minute. How many of you know that the battle was won in the garden? We focus on the cross, but this is why I, when, I, when I told you the different, the different gospels and where this whole thing is located, I include the garden. Because it was that moment when Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. When he said yes to obedience, true courage is obedience. It's being, it's being, it's being obedient to that simple request that the Lord has given you. Jesus did, can I be honest? He was, he was struggling. He was all God and all man. This was the only time he ever questioned his papa. The only time. But he didn't sin. He said this. 
If this cup could pass, let it pass. Nevertheless, I mean like immediately, nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. Let your will be done. Because he knew the big picture. He knew what God, what the Father was about to do. He knew that he made him become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. See, a lot of people forget that story of the snakes and all of that under wonderful stuff and how Moses had to fashion the serpent. You guys remember that story? And it would, and he lifted the, it up and then all of a sudden the people that were sick or afflicted with these snake bites would get healed. And all of a sudden the snakes went away. It was a symbol. What is, what did he say in the book of Genesis that, that, that she would what? The heel of her would do what? Crush this head of the snake. Snake, whenever we look at it, the snake is considered a, a, a symbol, a symbol of sin. So that day on a tree, I have people ask me this all the time, brother, all the time. They walk up and they say, they say, hey, how can this loving God that you're talking about right now, how can this loving God pour out all of his wrath on his son? Listen, I'm going to tell you, I don't know what you've been told theologically, but let me tell you what scripture tells me, that it wasn't his son that day that he poured his wrath out on, but it was sin for once and all to be completely taken care of so that we could be released from the penalty, from the power, and eventually the presence of all sin. It says it's in Israeli in Israeli customs when something is lifted up on a pole, it's believed to be cursed. Sin was cursed that day. Jesus, Jesus said, "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani." My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't being forsaken, but this was the first time. He's a member of the Holy Trinity. The Holy Godhead, and this was the first time that he was ever separated from his father for one, for one moment. See, when we look in the story of the garden, we see that Jesus began to sweat blood. It's believed by most theologians this was symbolic of us being freed in our emotions. When he was at the house of Cepheus, His face was completely disfigured and transformed. It was a symbol of our new identity in Christ. When they put the crown of thorns upon his head, and we're going to go more in detail to a lot of these in just a minute. But when they put the crown of thorns on his head, he, we were, it's a symbol of us receiving the mind of Christ. When he was whipped and beaten, of course, we know that that's a symbol of our healing. When he was pierced in his hands, We know that's a symbol of the work that we're going to do for him. When he was, when his feet were pierced, it's about our walk with him. And when his side was pierced, it was a prophetic picture of the born again process because out came blood and water. It's also believed by a lot of cardiologists that means his heart exploded. So I want to take you back to this, this garden scene. If you look over and if you look over in Matthew 27, We see Jesus praying this prayer. He takes his three most closest to him into this prayer, into the end of this. And he says, hey, I want you to stay right here and I want you to pray while I go right over here. It's believed he was a stone's throw away. So it depends on how old you are, on, how, on, on where that would be. Me, it'd probably be here to my brother, right? But some of you young, strapping, big guys in here, it could have been anyway. He was in sight. Three times he went. And he brought this to the Lord. Three times he came back and 
every one of his disciples were asleep. I love it in, in, in Matthew 20, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, she walks up and she says, hey, can my son sit on your right hand and your left hand? And he says, listen, the cup that I'm about to partake of, they want no part of that. My cup they will receive. You notice he's talking about two different cups here. My cup they will receive. But the one that I'm about to drink is the Jeremiah 25, 15 cup of wrath. They want no part of that. So he partook of that cup. He drank of that cup so that everyone in this room would not have to. He tasted death so that you would never die. He went through all the pain and anguish. Can you imagine in the same garden, not more than a day earlier, Jesus had given Judas four chances to repent. Even the last chance, a lot of people don't realize this. When he says, he who takes the sop will be the one to betray me. I mean, I love this whole picture of what's going on. Peter, Jesus keeps saying somebody's about to betray me. And, and Peter says, and Peter says, hey, John, go find out who it is. And I know it's crazy, but come here, Michael, for just one second, buddy. Thank you. We're going to pretend that Michael's Jesus in man, right? <laughs> Jesus is sitting here and even the very last conversation he was having with Judas at that moment, he looked at him and he says, he says, so, so John leans over and he goes, who is it? <laughs> Who's going to betray you? And Jesus says, the one that I dip that takes the sop. So this is John's perspective. Everyone wonders why John's the beloved and why John, and why John speaks totally about the intimacy and the love of Jesus. It's because he's seen this one moment, I believe with all of my heart, was a life-changing moment. Because later on, he found out that Judas betrayed him. But the image that he was getting when he put his hand out like this, it's a symbol, even today in Israel, on the Shabbat, on the, on the, on, on, on that eve of the Shabbat, they dip their, the horse, the, the bread in the horseradish and they give it to the one they love. So this was John's perspective as he was seeing, love your enemies. Thank you, Michael. So Jesus had just went through that. And now he's standing there and all of a sudden the temple guard come up and they're, and, and the same one that he said, I love you, betrayed him with a kiss. So now all of a sudden, I'm going to fast forward real quick, guys. Now he's on his way back to the temple. And now what's beginning to happen is they're beginning that the beating is going down. They're plucking his beard out. They're hitting him. They're punching him. The book of Isaiah says he will be marred more than any man. That's an absolute statement. That means he was beaten worse than any man has ever been beaten before, had been beaten up to that day, or will ever be beaten. The passion of the Christ barely begins to depict. Barely begins to depict because he was still recognizable. He was beaten, guys. And this is just going to the guard. And then, and then he gets there and he stands before Cepheus and Cepheus comes out to him and he says, are you the Messiah? And he says, I am. And then they rent their garments and they're screaming and they're beating him the whole way. They take him to Herod. Herod wants nothing to do with it. They take him to Pontius Pilate. 
Pontius Pilate's wife was had a dream, warned Pontius Pilate, you don't want anything to do with this, but here you go. It's already here. It, he's, he, he's afraid of an uprising. He's afraid of what will happen if he doesn't deal with the situation. So they bring Jesus before him, and he says, I'm going to scourge him. Oh, that's right, guys. I'm going to go there this morning because this conversation isn't an Easter conversation. Do you hear what I'm saying to you this morning? As a born-again believer, this is a daily a daily conversation in our head. When we lead worship, we lead it out of the place of the cross. When we pray, we pray out of the place of the cross. When we, when we go out into the streets, it's because of the cross. So he goes before him and they take this thing and they have what's called a scourging log. And they, it, well, many of you have seen Passion of the Christ. It depicts a scourging log where they bend them over in leather straps, hold them down. Here's the crazy thing that not a lot of people know. It said that there was a squadron or there was a, a, a guard that was there, a, a Roman guard. That means there was over 600 Roman soldiers. 39 lashes. I believe that's just with the cat of nine tails. They beat him six, over 600 times with a reed. What is a reed? It's the equivalent of a baseball bat. That's how bad it hurts. And they beat him. And they beat him. His flesh began to pour open already. Before they ever went and got what's known as the catabellum, they get this cat of nine tails, which is a leather whip. And it was dipped in lead. And sometimes if they wanted to be really bad, they would tie rocks and bones to it. And then imagine this, the son of the living God, the lamb that came to, to save us all was reduced to laying on a log as they would begin to beat him and rip his flesh and beat him and rip his flesh and beat him and rip his flesh. And the whole time he opened his mouth, not. Why? Because he dreamed of the day that you would be able to come into the kingdom. He said, I will not stop. I will not back down. I have been called for this. This is what I will do. I have to do it so that Rob can be in the family again. I have to do it so that Russell can be in the family. I have to do it so that every one of you in here could come into this, this kingdom experience with the Father. I've got to do it. I will not back down. I will not let up. I will not get up. He, he, over and over again as they beat him, it's believed in some of the Roman writings that they talked about the resilience of Jesus because after they had beat him all the way down, he would stand back up again. Listen, I was a paramedic before, when, I, when I got out of the military before I was a preacher. I'm going to tell you it's believed that Jesus lost two-thirds of the blood in his body. That doesn't even scientifically make sense that he was able to make it from the point of scourging to the top of that hill. When, when, when you begin to lose large amounts of blood... Your body goes into the parasympathetic, sympathetic nervous system. It goes into this thing called fight or flight. Maybe all you medical people in here know what I'm talking about. It shuns all of the, all of the, the blood to what? Your core organs, your vital organs. It's trying to keep you alive. So a lot of times people lose feeling in their hands and their feet. He's carrying a 200-pound cross. It's not possible. It's not possible. But with God, all things are possible. Every time he went down, he would get back up. 
he would make his way down what's called the Via Della Rosa to a hill called Golgotha, where he knew this was the moment. I believe with all of my heart, there were tears of joy coming out of him as he goes, here we go, Father. And they laid him down. And then most of the time, most of the time in a Roman crucifixion, most of the time they tied him. They did what's called a cross tie. It went like this. They couldn't come free. But because of what the disciples had said and what Jesus has taught about coming back up, they decided we'll get really crazy and we'll pierce him with these nails that were masonry nails. And they were used for the large stone blocks like Jason, like when they would put stuff together, they, they would use it to tie those into, into wood structures. I just say that because I know he does handyman stuff. And they're about eight inches in diameter and they're about one inch wide. And they didn't go right here where the pretty pictures are. They went right here. Touch yourself really hard right there. Push in right there. You feel that nerve? Now imagine it being severed. So they stretch his arms out and they put that nail in. And then they stack his feet on top of one another. And then how many of you know where the Achilles tendon is? Right here, like you squeeze it or bump it, you're like, oh my goodness, you know you've hit that thing. They severed it. This is the, this is the choices that Jesus had during Roman crucifixion. I could either lean all of my body weight on that one nail until he would faint or pass out, or he would lift himself up on that body weight, or he would collapse. And when he would collapse, his arms were immediately dislocated and he would suffer asphyxiation or suffocation. Oh, it gets better. It also says that he bore all of our sickness and our disease. It's believed by a lot of theologians. I know I keep using that because there's a lot of research that's been done into the cross. I encourage you to go deep in the cross. That as he was there and as he was beaten and as he was abused and as he was crucified and tortured, that all of a sudden, Tumors began to grow on his body because all the sickness, which is with the fall of man, sin, sickness, disease, and death were crucified that day. They were crucified that day and they began to come upon him. And, 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 and I know I, I did. I, I have preached a little bit of this here before, but I don't care. It's in my heart. I got to keep going with it. It's the only thing that, that can, man can see salvation. It's the only hope of the world. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, for a fresh glimpse. Oh, for a fresh understanding of this glorious thing that has taken place in our heart and in our life. You are brand new. It says that 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that you are a brand new creation. Old things are. Behold, all things are. Makes inner healing a whole lot easier too. Because that guy's dead. Now you're a new creation because of this cross. What unifies generations? The cross. What, what can save? What can save a city? The cross. Here's the crazy thing. Yes, the resurrection's important. I preach on the resurrection. I love it. It's like one of my two favorite things in the world to preach on. I'm an evangelist. The cross and the resurrection. If there was no cross, there would have been no resurrection. And if there was no resurrection, he was just a man. And let me tell you, 
after that resurrection, man. Woo! You know, here's another thing real quick. I love my brother hit it a minute ago. He talked about the keys of death and hell. But what we don't realize is he went to hell so that you wouldn't have to. We like Rambo Jesus, like, give me the keys. But he was there for three days. He went to hell so that you would never have to see that place. Never. He paid that price. There are people out there today that don't know this story. Oh, but brother, we live in Dallas. It's the buckle of the Bible belt. No. They don't know this story. I'm out there week after week, day after day. And if they do know Jesus or they do know some sort of a sense of the gospel, they know a false gospel. They know this gospel that that looks like this. Are you ready? Would you like to go to heaven? Please say this prayer after me. God, save me from my sins. Jesus name. You're going to heaven now. I didn't ask him who is Jesus. I didn't ask him who's what sin was. First John three, three says that sin is, is lawlessness. They need to have a righteous understanding of what they're being set free from, man. That's true. Grace guys. When you understand what you're being set free from all of a sudden grace comes alive to you and you, you begin to realize, Oh my goodness. Repentance isn't a bad word. I can stay in this constant state of repenting so that I can be holy as he is holy. That's the outstretched arms of God's grace. That's the finished work of the cross. We need people. Listen, I'm not just talking about Love Dallas. I'm looking at a room full of people and wondering if there's anyone in here for the sake of the cross that's ready to lay their life down. And I'm not talking about salvation right now, although I will preach that because I have no idea if everyone in here is born again. What a great day to get born again. But maybe there's some people in here right now that you've been looking for an opportunity. You've heard the echo of the Holy Spirit as he's been saying, will you lay it all down? Will you give it all to me? Well, you don't understand. I, I have a job. I can't just, oh no, you can, you, listen, you can become a missionary at your workplace. You can become a missionary in your neighborhood. You can become a missionary to all of the people that are around you in your sphere of influence. What do we call that? A son or a daughter telling everyone how good their dad is, talking about where their life formerly was as in Ephesians 2 and where their life is now because of him and because of the great transformation that you received through the cross. Not people that want to come in. I'm going to be hard right now. You ready? On Sunday morning and live like heaven. And then walk out on Monday and live like hell the rest of the week. Is this, is this cross, is this gospel worth people dying for? It's the last thing, and I'm going to close with this. The real altar call today is signing up for this. There's a table outside. If you haven't done it right now, if you haven't done it during the service, I want you to sign up. Because I believe that the people in this building right now, this this walking out the practical gospel is what's going to happen in your heart is the light switch is going to get cut on and then broken off to where this is all you know. It's not no longer I'm going to run to Walmart and pick up a few things while I'm there. 
It's going to be, I'm going to go preach the gospel everywhere I go. And while I'm out, I'll pick up a few things. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? What would happen? What would happen if a missions movement would break out right here, right now? Where people have said, listen, I don't even have it all figured out. But I'm ready to fully surrender. Run up to the altar and say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. But I know I want you. And I'm just saying, here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I. Send me to my job. Send me to my neighbor. Send me to the homeless on the streets. Send me to Zimbabwe. I don't care. But I am available. And my life is not my own. I have been bought with a price. I believe God's given us that opportunity right now. I, I, I believe he is. And this is a little strange. I don't know how this is going to work. I'm going to ask the altar team to come up real quick. But maybe you don't need the altar team. Maybe you just need to run up and surrender. Maybe you need, maybe this is that moment to where you're not worried about getting to the next thing. But you're worried about getting to him. Oh, the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. That is the cure for the biggest plague that we have ever seen called sin. Oh, the blood of Jesus that washes cancer away. Oh, the blood of Jesus that washes the common cold away. That blood is available. We have instant access. The veil was tore. You're not trespassing on the holy of holies. You're born to be there. Can all of you stand for just one minute? I don't even know. I feel like Papa Lou when he does something like this. I don't even know what this looks like. But if God is speaking to you and you say, you know what? I just want to surrender. I want to surrender completely. I just want to lay down before him. I want to have a heart posture of surrender. I mean, I don't care. Take your shoes off like they do with the circuit riders, whatever it is. I just know this morning I am not leaving here the same person. Because I know the price that was paid for me. And it will be known. It will be known no matter what I have to do. If that's you, I want you to just start running up here right now. Right now, right now, right now, right now. Come on, come on. Right now. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, I surrender. Jesus, I surrender right now. I surrender. Guys, you don't have to stand. You can kneel. You can get, to, you can get wherever. Just I surrender, man. I'm, 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 I'm overtaken by the cross this morning. I surrender. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Wow. I have no idea why, but I keep hearing that old Billy Graham song right now. It wasn't Billy Graham. He sang it at every, it was I surrender all. Do you remember that? Or this morning, I surrender at my workplace. There are going to be people called to missions. I don't even know why I'm saying this, but there's going to be people that are called to full-time missions, even out of this country. Even you're like, well, wait a minute, brother. We're in the middle of a pandemic. That's okay because everywhere else in the Bible, people ran into the plague. If you feel like you're called into full-time missions, 
Like you're supposed to go. You've been marked with the go. I want you up here. Come on. I believe there's more guys. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Begin to thank him for the blood. Thank him for the blood. This is a marking moment, man. This is a moment that will, it's setting a stage for what God wants to do in your life. this room and you say brother I have never I've never heard the gospel like this this sounds more like a love letter it is and it's an open invitation if you're in this room and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus if you if you're in this room and you have never said yes to the gospel if that's you I want you to come right here to Pastor Matt I believe there's two people in this room that today, if you ask yourself, if you ask yourself if you have fully surrendered or if you've been walking a line, I think today's the day. The rest of you just keep praying because there's people up here right now. They're lying down the aisle ways of people that are surrendering their life for the sake of this cross. Thank you.